We'll read now from God's Word and I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians and chapter 4. We'll be focusing later on verses 9 through to 13, but we'll read from the first verse of that chapter, Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, Help these women who laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Friday's edition of the daily newspaper which I read contains several articles relating to the panic buying which seems to have gripped so many people in the last few weeks. A photograph of an elderly man looking down at his shopping list but surrounded by empty shelves. A tearful plea from a critical care nurse who'd called into her local supermarket having just finished a long, exhausting shift to find that everyone had greedily exhausted the shop of its normally ample supply of groceries. You can't help but feel for such people. And hopefully we as the Lord's people will be demonstrating a kinder and more gentle and considerate attitude, greatly helped by the fact that with our hope and trust in God, We don't share their fear and anxiety. We have concerns, of course, especially towards those who are at great risk if they contract this virus, and for those who find times of constant change and uncertainty particularly hard to deal with. But the testimony 
of those who are held by Christ has to be that it is well. It is well with my soul. How much of a difference should it make being a Christian at a time such as this? When times of testing come, Christians will often look at those who don't know what it is to be saved, those who know nothing of being reconciled to God, and you'll hear them say something along the lines of, I don't know how they cope without the Lord. I, under I understand exactly what they mean by that. I've thought it and said it myself, and I really don't know how they cope with all of the ills and struggles of this world when they don't have the hope in Christ that I have. And of course, the fact is that many of them don't cope. They turn to all kinds of things in a bid to cope. But when you're experiencing trouble, is being a Christian only about being able to cope? Not that being able to cope is an insignificant thing, but is that the full extent of the grace and power of God? That you will cope? Is that all that it means to you as a Christian when you go through a difficult time? I can cope? Is that as much you as you think God is able to do for you? That you'll be able to cope? When we speak of coping like this, what is it that's normally being expressed? That it was a time of progress? That it was a time of increase? No. Usually what we mean by coping is that I just managed to get by. That I had, I had just enough to survive and keep going. It was just sufficient to keep my head from going under. But that's all it was. Nothing more. I coped. There will be some extremes of hardship and affliction and grief when simply coping is, for a time, an extraordinary demonstration of God's grace and goodness. That you were not broken or overwhelmed in the midst of the ferocity of that particular storm can only be of God. But by and large, the times of affliction and difficulty that you go through are not of that sort and are not of that order. Not so severe. And the Bible teaches that when you go through times, when your faith is put on trial, God wants to do much more in you and for you than just enabling you to cope. He will enable you to cope, but he wants to do more than that. A young shepherd boy was angry and frustrated that the armies of Israel and even the king were allowing a Philistine to humiliate them and to defy the armies of the living God. If no one else will go out and face Goliath, I will, said David. And King Saul, who was head and shoulders taller than everyone, looked down on this young lad in disbelief. And how did David reply? 
I've taken on lions and bears protecting my father's sheep. I've rescued lambs from out of the jaws of lions and bears. And when they reared up to attack me, I grabbed them by the beard and struck them and killed them. And this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be just like one of them in my hands. What's David's point here? That God helped him to cope? No, he's saying, the Lord delivered me. And if he can deliver me from lions and bears, he can deliver me from Goliath. You see, David hasn't spent his time out in the wilderness with the sheep just coping, just scraping through. That has been the school where David has learned and grown in his trust of God. And from protecting his father's flock, he's now ready to take the enemy who threatens God's flock, Israel. In the wilderness, the life of just a lamb was at stake. Now all of Israel is at stake and God is going to save them by means of this young lad who has learned and grown in faith through his previous trials. Daniel. Daniel would face a time in his life when he would be called to place his life on the line in obedience to God. And instead of bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's gold-plated statue, he went home and opened his windows and knelt down towards Jerusalem and prayed to the one true God, knowing that the den of lions was waiting for him if he was caught. But you see, years before, when he'd first arrived in Babylon, he was faced with defiling himself with the delicacies of the king's dining table. Instead of simply hoping that God would let him cope, Daniel went further than that by negotiating an alternative diet and his faith in God was vindicated. And God had proved himself to Daniel in those early years and Daniel had grown in faith and trust in God, ready for the greater and far more public test which would follow. It's not just about coping, it's about learning and growing. I want to encourage you this morning and in the months which lie ahead that you look to God for more than simply being able to cope. But that you would ask of God that in these days, God might use this time so that you may learn and grow. In the letter of James, in the opening chapter, we read there these words from verse 2. My brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials come in every shape and size imaginable and are to be embraced with joy. 
because you know that God will work in you for good through those trials. There's no need for any sense of foreboding or anxiety. There should be no dismay that this isn't right and I protest. There should be rejoicing in your heart in anticipation of what God is going to do in you. There should be humility in your heart as you acknowledge that in you there is still much for God to do. Why is James able to exhort the Lord's people to count it all joy when they fall into various trials? Because it really is the most extraordinary exhortation. We spend most of our time asking God not to put us in the place of trial to begin with. And when he does, to get us out of it as quick as possible. And that's a very different attitude of heart to that of James here. Why is he able to bring this exhortation in verse 2? Well, the answer actually is very simple. It's because of what he knows. And this is such an important thing, and it's emphasised over again in the whole Bible. It's particularly emphasised in the New Testament by the Apostles. The heart of the Apostle John, in both his account of the Gospel and in his letters, is that you may know, that you may be certain what is it that James knows that the testing of your faith will enable you to cope? No. What he knows is that the testing of your faith will produce something in you. Something will come out of it. This is not merely getting through but that when you've come through, you'll have more at the end than you had at the beginning. You have learned and you have grown in endurance, in perseverance. That's what the word patience means. Next time, the trial may be bigger than the last one, but that won't matter because you've grown in endurance. Let endurance have its perfect work, he says. Perfect meaning complete and full. Let it do its full work in you. Don't deny it. Don't reject it. Don't shy away from it. Let it. Notice well those two phrases in verses 2 and 4 of James 1. He says, count it, and he says, let it. So when he says count it, what he's saying there is consider it and embrace it. And when he says let it, he's exhorting us to permit it and use it in our lives. Why? So that you will learn. 
and so that you may grow. And so you will be more useful in the future, more prepared, better equipped for all that God has for you yet to do. This idea of learning and growing comes across loud and clear in the letters of Paul. And for ease this morning, we'll keep ourselves to just one example. And that's the passage that we read from Philippians chapter 4 just a moment ago, starting at verse 9, where he talks about the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. And then later on, he talks about learning in whatever state I am to be content. Knowing how to be abased and to abound everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here you have the testimony of a man who has learned and grown and he's done so by enduring through many of the kinds of trials that you perhaps and me would prefer to shy away from and even hope that God would keep from you. Look at what Paul says in verses 11 and 12. I have learned, I know, I have learned. Is this the same Christian man who sat blind and somewhat bewildered in front of Ananias in the house of Judas on Straight Street in Damascus all those years ago? No, it isn't the same man. Well, yes, of course, it is the same Paul, but he's not the same man now as he was then. This is not the same man writing to the church in Philippi as he was then, immediately after his conversion. Why? Because he has learned and he's grown and he's learned much and he's grown much. He has learned to count it all joy when he falls into various trials. And we have Luke's account of Paul sitting in the prison in the town where the church is that he's writing to, Philippi, in their prison at midnight, he sang hymns while chained to the stocks. He let perseverance have its perfect work. And he's learned in every and any situation to be content. He's learned. If you know someone who's going through a real tough patch and you ask them how they are and they say to you, I'm coping, what does that message usually convey? I'm just about okay, but only just. I'm scraping through, but only just. Coping? Yes. At peace? Not really. But if you ask that question and they can say to you, I'm content, I want to suggest 
that's more than just coping. At peace? Completely. Because I'm content. And able to remain content even as or when the trials grow larger. And what does he confidently say to the Philippian believers? Verse 9. The things that you learned the things that you received, the things you heard and saw in me, these do. You see, there's something to be done with the truths that Paul teaches. They are not merely to be listened to, although that's the starting point. They are not merely to be agreed with, And hopefully we find ourselves in agreement with them. But he goes on and he says, these do. And in the doing of them, the peace of God will be with you. In the doing of them. Why do so many Christians lack the peace that they ought to be enjoying? Why, perhaps, might you be lacking the peace that you ought to be enjoying? Well, maybe it's because they are not doing what a Christian ought to be doing. They're not exercising their faith. They're not putting faith into practice the way they should be. If you would have a real and growing knowledge of God, and a real and growing walk with God, if you would grow up in him, and if you would know more of his peace, and if you would be able to testify of contentment the way that the Apostle Paul can, there are things to be learned. There are things to be received. There are things to be done. And here is one of those things to be done. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And here's a second. Know that the testing of your faith is producing something. And here's a third thing. Let perseverance work itself out completely in you. Learn, know, do, that you might grow. Not just coping, learning and growing. And there's one very last thing in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 4. And it's a final, crucial end note without which... Everything that I've just said, and without which all of these exhortations that Paul is bringing, are completely meaningless. Yet, not I, but through Christ in me. I can do all things, says Paul, through Christ who strengthens me. How can I count it all joy? when trials come through Christ.
who strengthens me. How can I take hold of these trials and run with them, that in them and through them I might learn and grow through Christ who strengthens me? How is it that in all the various circumstances that life may bring, the good, the bad, the easy, the hard, the pain-free, and the ones which bring searing pain. How is it that in all of those things I can be content through Christ who strengthens me? Paul wants that to be the testimony of every Christian believer. He wants it to be your testimony too. And one of the ways in which we can stand out as God's people in these amazing days that lie ahead of us for several months at least is to let people see that this is what lies at the heart of your life. That it is Christ who is strengthening you. It is Christ who is your hope. And that everything that is unfolding doesn't threaten this peace and this contentment that you find in him. And that at the end of these days that we're going through, you won't be just looking back and saying, well, the Lord helped me to cope with that. But the rather you'll be able to stand and give testimony of the amazing things which you were able to learn and that we actually might rejoice because we can see in you the way that you have grown in faith and in trust and in love and in service of God and his people and that others will see that in you too and that they might marvel at what God is doing in your life because they actually even unbelievers are forced to come to the conclusion that this can only be the Lord Jesus Christ who is strengthening you.